Welcome to Broadway Radio's Tell Me More. I'm your host, Matt Tiamanini. Here on Tell Me More, we strive to talk about projects and topics that don't often get covered on theater podcasts. On today's episode, my guest is a legendary figure in the world of cabaret, K.T. Sullivan. In addition to her career on Broadway, she has been a staple in the New York cabaret scene for decades, and she was named the Artistic Director of the Mabel Mercer Foundation in 2012. The organization was created in 1985, quote, to perpetuate the memory and spirit of its legendary namesake and to promote public interest in classic popular song and the art of cabaret. KT and I will talk quite a bit about who Mabel Mercer was and why her legacy is so important. But later this month, the foundation that bears her name will host the 30th annual New York Cabaret Convention at the Rose Theater at Jazz at Lincoln Center's Frederick P. Rose Hall. The four-night event will feature cabaret, theater, blues, jazz artists, and more. Some familiar names participating, and this is just part of the list, include Christine Andreas, Debbie Boone, Darius DeHaas, Kanita Miller, James Naughton, Linda Pearl, Margot Siebert, Emily Skinner, Tom Wopat, Karen Akers, Liz Calloway, Tova Feldshue, Marilyn May, Karen Mason, Marissa Mulder, Steve Ross, David Sabella, Deborah Grace Weiner, Christine Petty, Ruby Rakos, Billy Stritch, Spencer Day, Amra Favorite, and many, many more. A few times in our conversation, you will hear KT reference Donald Sullivan, who was the late founder and executive director of the Mabel Mercer Foundation, so I wanted to make sure you knew who he was. Anyway, Without further ado, here's my conversation with KT Sullivan. We are coming up on the 30th anniversary of the um, the the New York Cabaret Convention. I know that you have been a part of all 30 uh, of these, dating back to the very yes. first one. For those folks who might be more on the theatrical side of things who maybe go to a cabaret show once or twice a year what does this convention try to do and bring together into one area that maybe folks that aren't really ingrained in the cabaret community might not see on a regular basis well you know it's interesting you, you come from a broadway background but uh, you know a lot of these songs are from broadway some sure. are from movies uh some are more contemporary but um uh, on our opening night um Deborah Grace Winers put together an evening of Dorothy Fields, Carolyn Lee, the great female songwriters. And James Naughton was part of that evening, um, and also Tom Wopat. And it's, it's, uh, it, I might, the, the uh, final night is uh, Halloween, my birthday. And, um, <laughs> it is fun. Boo, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we're, we're having some people, uh, in fact, there's uh, Susie Mosier. I don't know if you know Susie Mosier. She has a hostess a sure. show at Birdland every Tuesday night, and she was also in, in Hairspray on Broadway. She's making her cabaret debut um, that night. We have some very young people. Uh, Anais Reno is 15 and goes to LaGuardia High School. Uh, some people from LaGuardia will be in the audience, too. But And there's Hannah Jane Peterson, who just graduated from the Performing Arts High School. Uh, and she will be singing on the Judy Garland night. So, so and of course... Judy Garland was, was mostly movies. She didn't ever do a Broadway show, but all those songs are still done because they're classics. They're golden. They're, they're over 50 years old, so they're, I, I call them golden. Uh, Marilyn May, who, as you know, gives her age, so I'm not giving anything away. She's 91. She's performing on the Frank Lesser night, and Frank Lesser, of course, mainly wrote for Broadway, so that'll be a Broadway evening, too. But cabaret brings in everything. It can, it can bring in some pop. If pop music is, if you can hear the words, it's cabaret. Uh, and so there's some, there's, there's jazz. On, on the Deborah Grace Weiner night, they'll have some jazz people represented. 
uh, Karen Allison and Jay Lenhart, of course, you probably know him. Uh, Toba Felshu was also on the Frank Lesser night, so she represents theater too. Uh, and so we, it, it's cabaret, I think, can be everything. It can be jazz. It can even be country. I have someone coming in from Colorado, Durango, Colorado, who'll be doing a country song. And a little girl who's 15 from Colorado who was basically a country singer. But we hear the words, and, and Mabel Mercer was about hearing the words and telling the stories. So we'll be telling the stories, whether they're from Broadway, Hollywood, or sometimes you get a new song in. If you can hear the words, then it's in the tradition of Mabel Mercer and of Cabaret. Cabaret is known for being an intimate uh, room in the, a lot of intimate rooms around the city, like like uh, Duplex and the the Beach Cafe. I don't know if you've been there yet. Uh, lots of new places crop up all the time. In fact, there's a new room uh, at the Pierre Hotel where I'm singing on November 4th. Uh, new room uh, rooms die, like the Algonquin, which was very sad. And, but but new rooms come about too. New ones rooms open, and of course you have uh, Green Room 42, and you also have 54 below, uh, so and which are more Broadway oriented. But uh, people can hear people in a big space like Ro- Rose Hall, 1,200 people, and then go to a smaller space to hear someone they like. If they like the way someone sounded on one song, let's, let's go hear her act in one of the small spaces. And that's what Mabel was known for. Mabel Mercer was known for singing in the small spaces, digging down deep inside and finding those truths, whether they make you laugh or make you cry. And in Mabel Mercer's time in the small rooms, ringside would be would be uh, Frank Sinatra and Lena Horne and hmm. Billie Holiday, Peggy Lee, trying to figure out how she did it, how she brought those those emotions so it, it, into a small room and made you um, feel like you'd never felt before. Hopefully, we can do that on, <laughs> this year on our 30th anniversary. Yeah, I, I don't know that I've ever heard cabaret described the way that you described it. Is that if you can hear the words and it tells a story, that makes it cabaret i mean and i think that that is probably a really eloquent way to differentiate between what you you guys uh are trying to do with the cabaret convention and everything uh compared to maybe what you do here on popular music radio nowadays i've never heard that distinction before oh good matt i'm glad i'm glad you picked up on that because also if i must say there are a few broadway shows that are going right now where you can't hear the words uh, <laughs> I will get I some names. Yeah. But once you get to know the show, you love it and you know what the words are. But the first time you hear them, you don't understand the words. You listen to the album over and over again to, to decipher what the words are. But in Cabaret, first time through, you hear the words. And I, I was talking to some Columbia students recently. They interviewed me. Um, and they'll be at, and our, on a couple of our nights, they'll be in the audience also. Uh, and they frequent 54 Below, Feinstein's 54 Below. And I was asking, on the later shows, like 11 o'clock, this more affordable cabaret used to be exorbitant. And some of the great rooms, like the Algonquin and the Carlisle, are very expensive. Sure. But in the smaller rooms, like 54 Below, the 11 o'clock shows, or at Birdland, Susie Mosier's Birdland on Tuesday night, uh, those shows are affordable, and younger people can go. And I was asking one of the younger people, what draws you to cabaret? And she said, I guess it's the stories. She told me that, yeah. which I think, well, that's what it is then. That's what we can listen. Or is the old tradition like in the caveman? I mean, sit in a cave around a fire listening to the stories. It's as old as mankind, and we're <laughs> still doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I wonder, because you've mentioned a, a number of the, the well-known cabaret rooms in New York, but a lot of the ones you mentioned are uptown. But there is kind of a different type of cabaret that happens downtown, whether that's a, mm-hmm. a, a very well-known place like Joe's Pub or some of the really, the smaller places, and you even mentioned, you know, the duplex and stuff like that. Pangea is also Lower East Side. Yeah. Uh, it's a very nice room. Yeah, the downtown, it's uptown, downtown, all east side, west side, all around the town, all east side, <laughs> west side, downtown, uptown. Uh, I love performing at the Laurie Beachman Theater because I live upstairs there at oh. Manhattan Plaza. So I take the elevator to my show, and I, so that's my favorite oh, that's room very nice. to play. But 
because of the because of the queue line, though, I can get to the beach, beach cafe very quickly, and then now the queue line will take me right to the Pierre Hotel where I'll be on November fourth. But uh, yeah, east side, west side, all around the town, and I do like the downtown movement. And I saw someone at Joe's Pub last Saturday, someone from Berlin. Oh, wow. uh, and uh, so th- there is an international flavor to cabaret, too. Uh, it's not just the American songbook. I don't, I'm not really wild about that term because it's not American songbook. It's, I, I, did, I just did a Noel Coward show with Steve Ross at the Irish Rep. And it's, <laughs> he's not exactly American. No. And I, I saw a PF show at the uh, Joe's Pub, so that's not American. Uh, Edith PF touches your heart. And even if she's singing in French, you know the story. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's what I was going to kind of – to go with that is that I think that the closer you get to the quote unquote theater district, obviously there's a reason that a lot of the the uptown cabaret venues do have a little bit more of a Broadway feel, like you mentioned. But as you get downtown, the the kind of repertoire that you hear is quite different. Do you think that there's a distinction between those two? Is there is there a specific place where if you want to hear something that's maybe more traditional, you go here? If you want to hear something that's new, you go somewhere else? Is, is, is there a feel there, or does it all kind of meld together? I think rooms can get traditions. Like, uh, the tradition at Birdland is jazz. And yet, with the uh, room added downstairs, which is called Birdland Theater, uh, Johnny Valenti, the owner, wanted to get, branch more. He told me personally that he wanted to get more cabaret people in there, cabaret or uh, you know people who tell the stories, people who uh, are maybe from more from the theater, uh, more cabaret, more theater. That's why it's called the Birdland Theater downstairs. Yeah. So rooms can get a tradition. Duplex, I think, has more of a tradition of being a little more cutting edge. Uh, sure. Pangea has gotten now a more tr- tradition of uh, things be a little off off the off the rail as they say <laughs> uh you uh, and what's interesting the uh the Carlisle, which used to be very traditional now has gone very modern have you noticed that yeah uh pop and and uh movie stars that want to do cabaret i've noticed have you noticed the movie stars and television stars that want to do cabaret because it's personal you can tell your story and you can communicate with people on an intimate level it's, it's quite exciting and everyone wants to be part of it I yeah. think that's a wonderful thing that's happened too. Even with, with recordings, also, of course, this has started happening years ago, decades ago, with Linda Ronstadt. Uh, but then we have Sting, and every, uh, even uh, Willie Nelson, of course, had his famous one. Bob Dylan loves singing as the standards. So it, it's it's all over the map, and and certain clubs do get a tradition, like Fifty Four Below and uh, Green Room Forty Two have more of a Broadway connection. But like you say, on the, the the ones that are, I, lo- I love the, and the cutting room is another place, right? I, at one point I had a show called Cutting Edge at the Cutting Room <laughs> because they're, they're known for doing different things, uh, things that, are, that aren't to be expected. And that, that's what I love. I, I, I love it all. And that's why on my night at the convention, October 31st, I'm all over the map. But Susan Mosher's making her uh, cabaret convention debut. Uh, Spencer Day is coming in from uh, San Francisco. He, he performs regularly for Green 42. Uh, Becky uh, Menzi and Tom Michael from Chicago are coming in. Uh, like I say, someone who's 15 coming in from Durango and one also 15, Anais Reno, from, from the Guardia High School is going to be singing. So it's all over the map, and some people will be doing songs that are appropriate for the evening, like uh, Josephine Sanchez will be doing Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. And Tom, I don't know if you know Mark William, he performs regularly at the Green Room 42. He'll be doing Bewitch, the theme from the... the, the uh, the, the, TV, the show. TV show Bewitched, plus <laughs> Bewitched by the Bewildered. And uh, I'll be doing one Halloween from uh, from Applause with uh, 
but alive. So since it's my birthday and I'm alive, I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's perfect for Halloween night. That's perfect. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, and then we have a Judy Garland night. You probably know about that. Uh, regular at Birdland, um, Natalie Douglas is on that night. Karen Mason is on that night. Sidney Meyer. Sidney represents, he, he books Don't Tell Mama, but he, he performs regularly at Pangea. And uh, he's a tradition. He's been involved with most of the conventions. He was sort of discovered by Donald Smith, started using him years ago. Donald Smith, who was more conservative because he's from Boston, started the convention 30 years ago. And he had this rule about gentlemen wearing a, a suit and a, at least a tie and a jacket. The only exception he made was for Sidney Meyer. Sidney can do whatever he wants. <laughs> so, so Donald loosened his rules then, and I, I've loosened a little more. With the people uh, I've, I've included, I, I do like, in fact, Susie Mosher. Have you ever heard her sing Crimea River? I have. It, it's scandalous. So I've, I've saved her toward the end of my program because we might have some walkouts from, from some of our more conservative <laughs> patrons. <laughs> but I'm taking a chance because it's just not to be believed. There's a girl from Chicago, uh, from San Francisco, named Leanne Borghese, who is over the top. And she will be doing her version of the trolley song, which she did in my living room a few months ago at a, at a party. <laughs> and it's not to be believed. Uh, and she, she is, is off the charts. So it, it's all of them. And that's what can, I think cabaret can be anything, whether it's jazz yeah. or whether it's country, whether it's scandalous or whether it's conservative. If you hear the words and it, uh, then I think that's cabaret. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, Mabel Mercer a few times. Obviously, you yeah. uh, are the artistic director for the Mabel Mercer Foundation, and that is the organization that puts on the, the convention. For maybe some folks who aren't familiar with Mabel Mercer, you talked a little mm. bit about her her legacy, but can you just give an yeah. insight as, as to who well, she was okay. and why why she was so important? Well, yes. I, what makes it easy when you're studying the life of Mabel Mercer is that she was born in, in 1900. So oh, in her 20s. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so in her 20s, she was in Paris, and it was the 20s. So uh, she was singing at Brick Tops, a little intimate space, uh, which I think is sort of like the size of the Beach Cafe. Uh, and people, uh, the little dance floors so might have been a little, little larger. But Cole Porter would come in to hear her. And, he, and, and the tale, the story goes that he wrote Love for Sale just for her. Uh, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor would come in. Uh, Ernest Hemingway would come in. Uh, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. She's she got a following like that. Marlena Dietrich. So when at the... Uh, so it came to be the 30s, the late 30s in Paris. She was given very advice to leave Paris, obviously. And Joe Carstairs of the uh, Cunard line paid her passage for her debut here in New York in 1938 at the Rubin Bleu, where my friend Bart Howard played for her. Bart Howard, who wrote Flyman to the Moon, was her first pianist here. And Joe and uh, Marlene Dietrich got her a new, new dress for her opening, and the, the Duchess of Windsor got her a gown, got her the, the matching purse and <laughs> And, and shoes. So that was her debut. Uh, and then she became the toast of New York cabaret. Uh, they didn't call it cabaret then. It was just nightclub singers, a supper club singer. And, and she had a 2, 2 a.m. show. So things have changed a bit there. She would some, uh, Billy Roy, who used to play for her now and then, or played for Portia Nelson, who was also part of that time, said that after the last show, they'd go, they'd go and have breakfast. So those days, unfortunately, are over because that's not like fun, doesn't it? A two o'clock show and then yeah. we're going home. Uh, so, we have some of that downtown, but not, not as much as we used to. But she started this at the, 30, the late 30s, 40s, 50s, and into the 60s. She was still the queen of the supper clubs. And people would and, and started in, in, at Brick Tops in Paris in the 20s. She would sit down at people's tables and sing to them. Talk about intimacy. Yeah. And that was the days before Mike. She, she first sang at, at, uh, at Brick Tops without a mic. Uh, 
And uh, in fact, there's stories, and that's why her her voice got much lower. She started out sort of a mezzo soprano, and she she wanted she wanted to play Bess, and Porgy and Bess was her dream show. She also wanted to play Julie in Showboat. She started in the theater, and she she was acting the chorus of Showboat. But wow. she but she wanted to play these roles, but she her voice deepened, and uh, because of singing without a mic and smoke filled rooms. But but she found her home in these little clubs, and people would she would sing to them, whether at their table or sit in a chair, in these tiny rooms. And so when she uh, Donald Smith was uh, it was her manager during the last decade of her life, and when she passed away uh, in '84, she he wanted to uh, he noticed that in the in the obituaries she was mentioned as a jazz singer, and he thought that's not quite right, and he he wanted her to be remembered. And be remembered for this, what she gave to us all, how, what, could, what could be mined from a great song. How, and, and, and you could hang on her every word. And that wanted to, he wanted to remember that just as people like Frank Sinatra, who said everything I, I know I learned from Mabel Mercer. What he learned, what Peggy Lee and Lena Horne and Billie Holiday was a fan of Mabel Mercer. She used to say to Sylvia Sims, who I knew Sylvia Sims, Sylvia Sims said she'd say to her, let's go hear that fancy singer. They they wanted to they sat there ringside Margaret Whiting too trying to figure out how she did it, so Donald wanted that to be remembered and that 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 what could be re- gotten from these songs to be remembered and you know I think the greatest practitioner of this today is Sandy Stewart, hmm, okay. and she'll be given the Mabel Award on, on October thirty first. She mines these songs and hang and her 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 son Bill Charlotte plays for her, and when she sings a song you get so much more out of it because. Every word means something, and she's telling us a story, and it's. Yeah, I'm just in tears. <laughs> uh, she also can bring you up with some laughter too. And Mabel could be funny. She would sing funny songs. And Bart Howard, who wrote "Fly Me to the Moon," uh, he left me his piano and his will, so that's in my apartment. <laughs> but he said he he started writing songs because Mabel needed songs. She loved singing new songs. In fact, she's sang both sides now. Joni Mitchell's both both sides now. Before Joni Mitchell recorded it. It was brought to her by Billy, by Buddy Barnes. Remember Buddy Barnes? He was my first pianist in New York. And uh, so they, they, to be remembered, and, and that as we, as I go into the schools, like for this LaGuardia or where this, I'm going to Durango, Colorado in November. I'm also going to the Cayman Islands in oh, you know, the third time we've been down there. For to go into the schools there with Natalie Douglas, and we teach the kids uh, these standards. And once they hear them, they want to sing them. And uh, that's the purpose of the uh, Adela and, Lee, uh, Adela and Larry Elal Teenage Scholarship Award. We, they give away $5,000 every year for kids in the high schools who sing these songs. And we've noticed when we go in that they, once they hear them, they want to do them. Like, for instance, a little girl down at, at uh, Gramercy Arts High School we were working with, and she, she finds, I sign her, Don't Rain on My Parade, and she loves it so much. She gets so excited because she sings it in front of her peers, and they go crazy. And so th- then she, she wants to do it again. Once they hear them, they want to do them. And and the students are hanging on there everywhere. They don't realize that songs can be so good, that that it can be so exciting. And and that's what she was. Yeah. Well, it's, it shows the the power of of not only good songs but also the power of a good performance. It's performance, but it, the craft that goes into making to writing a great song. Uh, Julie Stein, for instance, on that during my parade with her, or, or, or Comden and Green, or, or we have one night of uh, Frank Lesser on our second night. He really crafted a song. Sometimes it was just a lyric, or sometimes music and lyrics, like he did in Most Happy Fellow, and, and uh, Once in Love with Amy. All these, 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 these songs were crafted so carefully to make them win, make them work. 
And so the right singer pays tribute to that composer by doing it right and by making it work. And, and uh, we've been down the house a few times. Some people can do, do that. <laughs> and it's not just about the sound of the voice. That's what we have to get the kids used to. And that's what Mabel was about. It's not about the voice, even though a nice voice is, one, is a good thing to find. But if you, if you can match it to the lyric and tell a story, then that's what Mabel did. Is there somebody out there that is doing this on a regular basis, whether it's somebody who is from more of the cabaret world or maybe someone from the theater world who does cabaret that you find exceptionally gifted in telling the story through mm-hmm. song? Uh, okay. Um, someone who, of course, you know is Marilyn May. Oh, yeah. Marilyn May. Uh, in fact, people are, are, are filling her houses because they want to hear sometimes they want to hear her sing a song again because they can't figure like in Mabel's case you can't figure out how she did it how did she do that Steve Ross I just did uh, Noel Calvary show with him he tells the story he feels he plays at Birdland um, usually once a month or someone who's there also monthly is uh, Natalie Douglas Natalie really knows how to tell a story uh, I mentioned Sandy Stewart uh, Celia Burke I just saw her at there's a place called Catano but she's working with more of a jazz pianist now, so she played katana. I've noticed that I'm not really a jazz singer, and neither is Celia, but if you're playing with a jazz pianist, all of a sudden you're jazz. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the undergirdings. If someone's playing jazz chords underneath you and you give a nice solo to your, to your bass or your drums, all of a sudden you're a jazz singer. Uh, but but that, she tells a great story. So does Josephine Baker. I'm not Josephine Baker. Josephine Sanchez. <laughs> and speaking of Josephine Baker, someone who plays at Chez Josephine is someone named Eric Eve Garcia. He's there every Tuesday, Wednesday night. He's, he's on my night. Uh, someone else who's a wonderful up-and-comer named Carol J. Buffer. Do you know Carol? I do not. She'll, she has a new um, CD coming out, and she'll be at, at – um, she'll be at 54 Below Feinstein's on, on November 2nd. And she has a new CD coming out. And she just has a show down in Florida for, for uh, like eight performances a week of a show about the 60s. Uh, but she's uh, maybe late 20s, she might be early, but she's, uh, she's really got it. She really can sell a song. She's got a great voice, but she does tell a story. And she likes to sing the blues also. And there's a young man from Rhode Island named, named um, Nicholas King, who's a real swinger. He really swings. But he knows a great song, and he's on the first night with Deborah Grace Winer singing some great songs by Carolyn Lee and Dorothy Fields. So uh, he's a great, and he's, he's, he's not yet 30. And another someone else who's a great singing actress is Christine Andreas. Of course. And she does a tribute to PF, but I just heard her do it the other night. And she, she tells you the story. She makes it clear what, what it is before you hear it in French. And she'll do a few verses in English to keep us, to keep the story clear to us. But, uh, uh PF, like Judy Carlin, you do understand what the song's about, whether it's in French or in English. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great singing actresses make it clear. Uh, Eric Eric Comstock too is also at the Birdland, and he really understands the songbook and makes it clear. Yeah, those are great. So I'll have to add those to the list to check out when they okay. uh, have shows coming up. But yeah. one, th- one thing that I know you mentioned that all these stars would come and see, whether it was Mabel Mercer or somebody else, just in random rooms, you'd see Sinatra sitting there uh, at a yeah. table uh, right next with to Ava Gardner. With Ava Gardner. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I, I know that recently you did a show – of of Strauss and Harnick music with right. Charles Strauss in the audience. Uh, oh. I'm sure that's not necessarily the first time that you've ever done stuff with the composer in the oh, room. It's so but exciting. Is that yeah? How does that maybe not change how you uh, perform the songs, but how does that kind of influence what you do on a given night? 
Well, you know, it, it does make you more nervous. I, when, when Jeff and I were doing our Sondheim show, and he was in the audience, I, I was beside myself. I, I, he's the only one who really makes me nervous. Um, in fact, I did something, a, a show of a Sheldon Harding music one time at the National Arts Club, and there was Sondheim on the first row. I couldn't look at him. I was doing Dear Friend, which is on his list of songs I, I wish I'd written. Remember that, Dear Friend? Oh, from, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was singing it, and I couldn't bear to look at him. And my pianist told me later, John Weber, he told me later that she, he put his hand to his heart when I finished. I, I wish I'd seen that, but I couldn't bear to look at him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, the, uh, Sheldon Harnick came to see our Harnick Strauss night um, uh, a few weeks ago. And then we did a special performance for Charles Strauss uh, on Sunday, just on Sunday. And and when he started singing along or moving his lips to some of our words, I was gone. It, it, it affects your performance. In fact, I, I couldn't remember the next line because I was just so flabbergasted. <laughs> there is something special about having the performer right there with you. I think I think we were singing NYC, and he was oh, he perfect. was moving his lips to the words, and it's just I'm so glad we had that night. Uh, yeah, it it does mean something. These are the great masters. They created these works, and we're so glad they did because we'll be seeing them forever. And he told us afterward, he said, I, he said, this, I, this is one of the best nights of my life because I feel like I, I accomplished something, that I did something worthwhile. Wow. And he's 92. So it's good to hear that, isn't it? Sometimes he has to be reminded because even Irving Berlin at the end of his life was afraid he wouldn't be remembered because uh-huh. by that time the Beatles had come in and people were listening to different music. He thought he wouldn't be. Can you imagine? Yeah. But, That's amazing. Uh, if he if he only knew uh, that we had we had Irving Berlin night, uh, I guess a couple couple of years last year we had a Jerry Herman night, but we we keep having Irving Berlin nights, we keep having Cole Porter nights, and and I guess it's been it's been oh god it, it's been over fifty years since Cole Porter died. If he only knew, he he didn't know apparently. Now that now they didn't uh, Irving Berlin, but here we are, and they're our favorites. They're our favorites still to sing, and to bring down the house. Whether it's Carol J. Buffett or whoever we are, we we come back to those. We can do things more contemporary things and and maybe in 50 years they'll, they'll they'll be just just as admired but right now we're so happy that they lived and they gave us this great works yeah. well like you said it's the the craft and the quality of the songwriting mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. allows a performer to take it in new directions as well yeah they did they didn't just whip it out uh you know in, in 15 minutes on the subway uh but but also there's another great uh phrase which i think will friedwald said uh in his book on sinatra and about these great songs, when you're reinterpreted and you can reinterpret and reinterpret, you know, depending on who you are and what point of view you have, uh, the quote is, uh, the, what makes the great standards, what makes them standards is when you bend them, they don't break. Oh, I like that. Isn't that good? That's great. So so we can hear that Irving Berlin song again and again and again and again because the interpretation is different because it it's so well-crafted you can bend it. That's wonderful. I love that. And mm-hmm. I, it, that really applies to, I think, great theater as well as we see yes. things like like, yes. ca- like Company coming to town with a completely different uh, perspective. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to hear yeah. that. Yeah. So, well, wonderful. And when we heard, we heard the Sweeney Todd, and that, that little, uh, what was it, um, the ones that came from England with all the different uh, instruments and the, what was it, uh, Sunday Park with George, or whether it, sometimes it's, it's a, a, a play by Tennessee Williams or, or, uh, yeah. or, or, or All My Sons. Yeah, you can hear it again. You can you can see it again because it is. Uh, you can bend it. You can. Oh, directors can have fun with that. But that's why directors have so much fun. They can do what they want to because it, the material is strong. Well, we'll we'll wrap up here as we've been talking about the the thirtieth annual New York Cabaret Convention is coming up October twenty eighth through thirty first on 
Monday the 28th, you have uh, A Night Celebrating Dorothy Fields and other great female songwriters. On the 29th is the Frank Lesser Night that you mentioned. On the 30th is the Judy Garland Night. And then on your birthday, Halloween, uh, it's it's kind of a uh, thanks for the memory celebrating 30 years of the conventions and, of course, doing some of those spooky songs as well. So <laughs> I'm going to put you – there's dozens and dozens and dozens of names of folks involved in these three nights. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh, dear. Okay. There are so many names, some great names uh, in here, some that you've mentioned, some that you haven't. But mm-hmm. if there was one person in this whole four-night extravaganza that you could – if you could only pick one person's song that you had to hear, and no fair saying yourself, um, is, is, would you be able to pick just one person? And if so, who? Okay. You put me on the spot, so I'll, I'll – since she's getting the Mabel Award this year, it won't, it won't be – I won't be too prejudiced. Uh, in fact, she should have won the Mabel Award earlier because uh, we've had Julie Wilson, Michael Feinstein, Marilyn May have all won the Mabel Award. Uh, this year, the Mabel Award, in fact, we had Jack Jones in one year to win it. This year, the, the, the Mabel Mercer Award goes to Sandy Stewart. And Bill Charlotte will be at the piano. She's singing It Had to Be You and Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. And you haven't lived until you've heard Sandy Stewart do <laughs> It Had to Be You and Smoke is in Your Eyes. Two classics played by her, her, her son, which, you know, her son is a great jazz pianist and he, he doesn't accompany anyone but his mother <laughs> because he's a solo pianist. Yeah. And he, he Sometimes always Sometimes you have he, to do what mom asks for. Well, he said he learned everything from her. That's why he plays. He, when you, when, when Bill Charlotte plays, he, you hear the melody, you hear the words. For one thing, he makes the melody clear, which not all jazz pianists do. But you also, he told me that while he's playing it, he's thinking the words because he grew up listening to his mother sing these songs. Hmm, and that's so that's why, yeah, when you hear him, I, I, when I go to hear him sing, play solo piano at Birdland, I hear the words. And one time he said, he said that, um, he, he thought that one time when someone complimented him on, uh, uh, something, he said, well, but I forgot the words as, as he's playing, uh, so that's that's what makes a great pianist, I think. But the, together, it's a wonder to watch these two. And she's opening our show. We call it the Barbara Carroll slot. Barbara Carroll was always opening of the... Oh, wow. Sometimes, yeah, on that night, when anything goes, my night, which I host. We always had Barbara Carroll. Even before Donald Donald passed away, it was Barbara Carroll was, was the opening uh, of the... For, I'm doing the last night this year because it's my birthday, but usually the opening night was always Barbara Carroll. So that's the Barbara Carroll slot. And she happened to be a very good friend of Sandy Stewart. So it's appropriate that, that Sandy's taken over that slot. But you can see, in fact, that's what they used to say with Mabel, to try to understand, see how it's done, trying to figure out how she does it. Well, that's what you can try to figure out on, for, on the, for, as Sandy Stewart begins our closing night on Halloween, try to figure out how she does it. She holds the audience in the palm of her hand just by singing a song, by making it hers and being true to those great craftsmen who put these things together. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me More. My name is Matt Tamanini. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt. And you can reach out to Broadway Radio on both Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash broadwayradio. We will have social media information for KT Sullivan, as well as links to the 30th annual New York Cabaret Convention in the show notes and on broadwayradio.com. Tell Me More is produced and edited by me. Special thanks, of course, to the great KT Sullivan, Dan Fortune, and the man without whom none of Broadway radio is possible, 
James Marino. Thanks again for listening, and remember, I'm wound up like a spring that's been tightened, dreamy and dizzy, but not a bit frightened. I'm alive, I'm alive, so alive. Also, always get a second scoop, and when you get the chance, ask people to tell you more.